Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Tim, and it's my privilege this morning to continue in our series from the Gospel of John, Perspectives on the Holy Spirit. I want you to imagine with me that you were one of the disciples of Jesus Christ way back when in that first century, that you had had this encounter with Jesus, and he had called you to follow him. And you left your family, you left your job, you left all your comfort of life as you knew it because you were compelled by the magnetism of this one who called you to follow him and you hoped that he would change the world as you did. And change he did. I mean, you were with him when you saw Jesus change the circumstances of people's individual lives. When you were there, when, you, when he laid hands on a person who'd been born blind from birth and, and he lays his hands on him and touches that person and that, that person can see. You, you saw that with your own eyes. You see how Jesus even changes uh, the course of nature. You, you were with him in a boat, and he's fallen asleep, and, and the waves are getting really rough so that you fear for your own life and the life of the disciples around you. And Jesus wakes up and simply says a few words, and there's calm. I mean, wow, you were with him when you ran into this crazy man who's filled with demons and Jesus speaks into his life and he's set free and the demons go into this herd of pigs and they run off the side of the cliff and meanwhile that crazy man now is sitting there with looking sane like th these are things you witnessed and it changes you you're never the same and, and you've been with Jesus not only watch the things he does but you've heard him talk and and there's this depth of wisdom and understanding of the world. There's this ring of truth that rings with your heart. And that you know that everything about this is right. You're with him and you cannot imagine life without him. You could never go back. Imagine what it would be like to have been a disciple of Jesus Christ there with him physically. Now for some of us, maybe that's a stretch to, to go that far back, but imagine even today in your life right now, if you won like the Christian lotto and the gift of that Christian lotto was that Jesus would come and spend a week with you physically so you could be with him. You could, you could at least imagine that. You could be with him. You could talk with him. You're going to have his undivided attention and focus and he's going to go with you to school. That'd be cool. Hey everybody, look who's with me. Or to work. I mean, that's impressive. You can ask him all the questions you have about life, what works, what is all this about. I mean, really, if that was possible, wouldn't you be jacked up? I mean, wouldn't you be excited? Like, Jesus is coming to my house. Jesus is coming to my house. Jesus is coming to my house. I mean, wouldn't that be amazing? In the context of the scripture we're reading this morning, uh, these are the words of Jesus shortly before his obedience to go to the cross. Jesus knows exactly where he is in God's timetable. He knows what's coming. Uh, he knows that he's going to depart and he's going to go to the Father. And he knows what lies in the balance is this gruesome experience. But he also knows that he was born. He came for this experience to walk in obedience to the cross and achieve a victory there. This is the pivotal point in history. And it marks the departure of his relationship with his disciples as they know it. Jesus changes the picture now. He's physically leaving. Yet he says to his disciples, and he means it, 
This is to your advantage. This is to your advantage. It is better for Jesus' followers if Jesus departs because when he does, he will send the Holy Spirit. So if you've ever thought, wow, how amazing it would be to be with Jesus physically, to be one of his disciples and to have walked with him and seen the things that he did, or how amazing it would be, yeah, if I could win the Christian lotto and Jesus was just with me in physical being for a week. What you need to know is that what you have today as a Christian believer, what we have now in the present, not sometime in the future, you know, not some promise that we still have to reach towards, but what we have now in the present, in the Holy Spirit, is better than if Jesus was here right with us right now in physical body. It is better for you, Jesus says. It is to your advantage. And in John's writing of his gospel, this good news letter that he's writing, the soon departure of Jesus, as it, as it in his letter, as, he, as Jesus gets closer and closer towards that, the, the, the mention of the Holy Spirit gets greater and clearer because in the age to come, it's going to be all about what the Holy Spirit will now do in the followers of Jesus' lives. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you live in the age of the Holy Spirit. This is to your advantage. This is not less than if Jesus was here physically. This is better. This is superior. It's to your advantage, Jesus has said. Why? Because you're on a mission. And because the Spirit works in the world. And because the Spirit works in us. We're going to look at this passage from three, those three things. You're on a mission. The Holy Spirit works in the world. And the Holy Spirit works in us. John 15, verses 26 to 27, we heard this. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. That's what the Holy Spirit's going to do. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. The word to bear witness comes from the Greek word, um, Martureo, it's, a, it's primarily a legal term. It's to lay out the facts or the significance. It's testifying to who Jesus is. In its purest sense, it's verbal. It's to speak something. It's to say something. The second part of martyrero would be to testify to the significance of this on your own life. But first of all, it's pointing to Jesus, who he is, what he's done, and the significance of that. Maybe like me, you've been on a journey at one time. You're on a, on a bus to go somewhere. I once took a bus to uh, um, Saskatchewan. That was quite an event. But you're on a bus, and, and as you're on, you're, you're going in a direction, and maybe somebody ahead of you or around you, or I've, this has actually even happened to me, all of a sudden the person realizes, I'm going in the wrong direction, you know? And you can see, they, like, they jump up, they're looking, okay, what do I do now? How do I get off and, and, and go in the other direction? And sometimes I wonder, for those of us in the church, when we realize the direction that God is taking us on, if we don't think, I, I want to get off, because the direction that God is taking all his followers on is the direction of mission. It's a direction of bearing witness to the person and the work of Jesus Christ. The advantage of the spirit that we are talking about this morning is directly connected to that mission. Mission is not for the special few while the rest of the church watch. And our roles may be different within God's family, but all of us together, collectively, 
are on that bus moving in the same direction. We've just finished running an alpha course at uh, the University of Fraser Valley here. We just wrapped it up. And um, amazing course. If, you, if you're not familiar with it, it's all about uh, an introduction to Christianity. So people who have questions, who are skeptics, or they're seeking, or maybe they've wandered away from God, or person just wants a refresher course in the basics of Christianity... They come and they watch a video and you have a, a, a discussion where it's non-threatening and no question is out of bounds. And uh, this course has just touched the world, worldwide. God has used it. It was created by a man named Nicky Gumbel. And I've heard Nicky Gumbel tell the story of, of one of the people in their course. And, and the guy was really attracted to Jesus and, and wanted to go there to give his life to Jesus. But he had this fear. And this fear was that if he committed his life to Christ, he would have to tell other people. He would have to bear witness about Jesus. And he was scared faithless. So Nikki tells the story about one of his leaders working with this guy. And, and uh, I, I don't know why he did this. I wouldn't necessarily recommend it. But this guy said to this man who was so afraid, he says, Oh, um, special case for you. you. You don't have to tell anybody about Jesus. You can just come to Jesus. You won't have to tell anybody. And the guy's, okay. So he gives his life to Jesus. And he starts going to different places and back to where he lives and whatnot. And he tells all his Christian friends, unchristian friends, people that aren't followers of Jesus, hey, guys, guess what? I committed my life to Christ, and I don't have to tell anybody. (laughs) You get the irony. See, when we experience Jesus, something happens. It, it bubbles out inside of us, and, and we can't but help talk about it. Now, remember, Jesus' followers had been with him for, you know, a long season now, and they've watched Jesus. They, they've seen how he, how he operates. They've seen the compassion that Jesus exudes and his love for people and as he ministers to one person after another and touches them in their place of need. They've heard him teach, and they've watched his love And they are about to watch him accomplish the greatest act of love that this world has and ever will see when he goes to the cross. They've been witnesses to that. And they will not but be able to bear witness to it going forward. They have absorbed Jesus' passion for the world and I think it's the same for us as we, as we look at Jesus' life, as we just give ourselves the opportunity to read his word and you look at his life and you see what he does and you see the compassion and the love he has and how he thinks and how he's willing to give his life away and be obedient to the Father and even to the death of a cross. You just, you just assume that passion and you will find yourselves having to testify, to bear witness to it too. In John's gospel, he's produced a lineup of witnesses. It begins with John the Baptist, who's like his star witness, but it continues. Almost every person that that John sort of highlights in his gospel is bearing witness to Jesus Christ. The the early call to Andrew, Philip, Nathaniel, they bear witness to Jesus. A couple weeks ago, we highlighted this Samaritan woman that Jesus encountered at a well. She's not traveled with Jesus. She's not theologically trained. She's not even a person that has much respect in her community, her past is really questionable, but she encounters Jesus, and what happens? 
She becomes such a witness that it's like her whole village wants to come running to Jesus. In John's gospel, the works of Jesus testify to him. The Old Testament scriptures bear witness to him. Ultimately, it's God the Father who's bearing witness to Jesus Christ. This is a theme that's scattered throughout John's gospel. It's a primary concern. People want to and need to bear witness to Jesus so people see Jesus, that they can believe in him because it's in Jesus and only in Jesus that people can really live. Every person who bears his name cares very much about this mission. Everybody who's connected to Jesus, Jesus says to his followers, you are my witnesses. Is this scary? Does it scare you? Well, it could be. Not everybody's going to embrace what we give witness to. We heard in Tamara's testimony how she was a Christ follower in school, how that, there was a cost to that. There were those who opposed her faith in Christ. So it, even on a personal level, although we may not fear our physical well-being, we can fear the, the sort of social ostracization of other people. Not everyone wants to embrace the message that we speak. We see that even on a grander scale in our nation. Even today, as there's a day of prayer for freedom of religion in our country, and if you're not familiar with it, you might be aware or, or not be aware that you know, our local Christian university in Langley, Trinity Western University, and, and the, the trial cases that have gone on as some people do not want them to have the ability to, to produce lawyers you know, that can function in our society. Why? Because when somebody goes to Trinity, they have to sign a, a covenant of, of how they're going to live and that they, they will operate sexually within the boundaries of Scripture between a married man and a woman. But, but it's gone beyond that. And, and I read from their own words. The Law Society of Upper Canada... Ontario now says that it must reject Trinity Western, not just because of Trinity Western University's position on marriage, but also because of our distinctly Christian environment. In its written argument filed within the Supreme Court of Canada, the LSUC highlighted every part of the community covenant it found discriminatory, and listen to this. The first two highlighted words were Jesus Christ. The point, the first point of contention was Jesus Christ. If we back up just a few verses from what we heard read this morning in John chapter 15, verses 18 to 20, these are Jesus' words. He says, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. Now, the, the word world, we know that Jesus loves the world. He gave his life for the whole world. So there are people within the world that are moving towards God, and there are people that are moving away from God, and they are rebelling against him. Sometimes when Jesus uses that word world, he's talking about the systems and the people that are completely in rebellion against him and don't want to come into a relationship with him, but resist and do everything in their power to resist those who follow Jesus. He says, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. We need to settle into our minds that as we bear witness to Jesus, as we speak about who he is, 
and his great activity, that there will be those who will outright reject our message. This should not be a surprise to us. Jesus forewarned his disciples. He said, so you won't fall away. Like, you're going to be persecuted sometimes for sharing about me. Don't be surprised by this, he says. They hated me. You're my follower. Some of them are going to hate you. And so we see a mixture in our world. You know, I, I still am moved by a conversation I was privy to earlier this year. It was a Skype call to a new believer uh, in one of the Middle East countries where if you shared with somebody that you have converted from Islam to Christianity, I mean, you, you just don't know what's going to happen to you. Uh, you may have just jeopardized your life. They, they may kill you for that, for that transaction of moving from, G, from is, Islam to Christianity. So I happened to be privy to this conversation on, on this Skype call as this person uh, shared with us that they had boldly stepped out and told their family. And what came next sent shivers up my body because she said, I found out my brother has been a Christian for seven years. For seven years. See, there are places in our world where it's so scary to share uh, your faith, your allegiance to Jesus Christ, that people operate in secret. We take for granted so much this freedom of religion that we have today. But in many places in our world, allegiance to Jesus immediately puts you in harm's way. This was the case for Jesus and his disciples as we read here. And then Jesus tells his disciples that he's leaving. So he tells them, some people are going to hate you. They want to kill you. I'm leaving. How do you feel about that? Huh? Like, surely we need to abort this mission, right? Our leader's gone. People want to kill us. Abort, abort, abort. No. Not a chance. Why? Because you have an advantage. The Holy Spirit works in the world. Jesus said, when he comes, the Holy Spirit, he will convince the world around sin and of righteousness and judgment. See, the Spirit's ministry among us has a great effect. When we are on mission, he's on mission with us. We have a senior partner in our mission that goes with us and goes beyond us and works in the world things that we could never do. It's not about being a better club. It's about being on mission with Jesus. As the Spirit works, it is not just up to us. The Holy Spirit is God and he tips the mission in our favor. He convicts the world, Jesus says. That word convicts means to reprove by exposure. Sort of has a, co a courtroom context where someone lays out evidence and truths and significance of those truths and, and builds a case so that it becomes, it becomes so weighty that, that a conviction is obtained. It leads to an unmistakable conclusion. So what do you think the Holy Spirit especially zeroes in on in the world as he works to convince people? Now, I might have thought of all kinds of things, but what does Jesus say? What does John emphasize for us? He will convict the world around sin and righteousness 
and judgment. Not about how God is going to make our lives better, although he does. The Holy Spirit is going to first do things that tell us about Jesus. Verse 9, John begins to unpack that statement by itemizing each one. In verse 9, he says, concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. The word sin is like to miss the mark, to, to fall short of God's glory of perfection. What is important for the Holy Spirit is to convict people around that. But what, what is it around that, especially that he wants to convince people? He says, because they do not believe in me, because they, they do not believe in Jesus. What is important for the Holy Spirit to convict people around is the sin of rejecting Jesus Christ. There's a group called the, the Pew Forum Research Group. At the turn of the last decade, they um, they surveyed people's groups in America around their belief about paths to God and eternal life. Now we know in John's gospel, Jesus has said things like, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, that's pretty exclusive, no one comes to the Father but through me. Later, when the apostles are preaching after Jesus has died and risen from the dead, they say there's salvation, there's wholeness, there's, there's, there's a way to God and restoration. Only under one name can people experience that salvation. His name is Jesus. You might be here this, this morning and you're not a Christian. You're not walking with God. And you, you need to know that it, when we talk about Jesus being the only way to God, it's not like be, you know, we, we profess that, we bear witness to that because we feel like we're, we're some people that are better. No, it's simply this. God has shown us that he gave his son and there's only one way to enter into a relationship with God the Father and that is through his son. And we bear witness to that as, as in a sense, beggars, as people who were broken and busted and found our wholeness in him and our desire, our compassion is for the whole world to experience that wholeness as well. And yet from Pew's research, they found that only 56%, sorry, 56% of evangelical Christians believe that there are many paths other than faith in Christ to God and eternal life. Is it no wonder that so many professing Christians have abandoned the mission Jesus says he will convict the world of sin because they do not believe in me. So often when we think of sin, we think of some moral failure where, you know, and it's usually really bad, like somebody cheated on their wife or somebody stole something, somebody um, murdered someone. We, we think of these horrible things. The ultimate sin that the Holy Spirit wants to convict people of is that they are separated from God and it's only fixable one way through God's provision of sending his son to go to the cross die for us for the forgiveness of our sins and rise again so that we might have a restored relationship with God and experience eternal life in him that is the only way that that can happen and to reject that means there is no remedy of all things that people need to be convinced of, it's this, that Jesus is the way and the only way to life eternal. Are you convinced this morning? Verse 10, the Holy Spirit will convince concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me 
no longer. It's not uncommon to hear from people, well, you know, I think I'm going to be okay with God in the future because, you know, in the next life because I've lived a really good life like these, and, and they might even list some of the things. These are the things I've done, and you can always compare yourself to somebody who's a much worse person than you in your eyes. That misses the whole point of why Jesus would die for them. You see, their rightness, my rightness, your rightness, our rightness falls short of the rightness that is required to have a right relationship with God. Jews would have understood in that first century that no one can enter into God's presence in their own righteousness. That's why they had this whole animal sacrifice system to cover their sins and to make atonement to, so that they could enter into, you know, even one day the high priest could, would have to offer blood, and, and, but that had to be repeated every year just to go into the Holy of Holies, which symbolized the, the very presence of God. Like they were constantly reminded that their rightness was not enough, that they needed something. Jesus said, the Holy Spirit will convict concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you'll see me no longer. See, here's one, Jesus Christ, whom people said, he's a, he's a wine-bibber, he's a glutton, he's a drunkard, like he was accused of all kinds of immoral things. And yet here, he is the one who, who will rise from the dead because sin cannot hold him, because he's righteous, and who will ascend to the right hand of the Father because... He's the Holy Son of God. The Holy Spirit's going to convict people of that. Their lack of righteousness, and, and he's going to validate the righteousness of Jesus as seen especially in the resurrection and his ascension. When he comes, this advantage you have, the Holy Spirit, God in person, when he comes, he will convict the world concerning uh, sin, concerning Righteousness, and lastly, verse 11, concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I mean, there's this amazing irony in John's gospel where people are putting Jesus on trial, where he's falsely accused, and the way they did everything was all, they broke all their laws to bring him to judgment, and then they condemned him to die, but their judgment, John's gospel shows, was in error. And Jesus, by going to the cross, that dying is actually an act of judgment. He says earlier in John 12, now the prince of this world is judged as he looks towards his cross. Now, this act of sacrifice will judge not only the people, the adversaries who have put him on trial and then crucified him, ultimately it judges the ruler working in and through them, Satan himself. Jesus knows his resurrection will validate his innocence and judge Satan so now it is the world that will be put on trial with the Holy Spirit as their accuser convincing them of this. In all of these three areas, sin, righteousness, judgment, the Holy Spirit is pointing people ultimately to Jesus. It's all about Jesus. I know that legal counsels, especially when they work on a big case, such as the Trinity case, they don't work alone. They work as a team. And usually one of them is the lead, and others work along with that lead, and, and in a sense, to serve. We are in partnership in this world with an advocate. 
God, the Holy Spirit, who has come into our world to work. And Jesus has told us three specific areas where the Holy Spirit wants to especially work in people's lives to convince them of these things. Sin and their need for Jesus because of that. Righteousness, their lack of it, and Jesus' righteousness. And judgment, that Jesus has judged and will judge. So imagine now if you're working with the lead council and you're one of the, you're part of the team and the lead council says, hey, we are going to, in our, in our prosecution, we are going to work in this, these three areas because that's where our case should be made in order to really convince that you as the, as the part of the team, you decide, no, I, I have a better idea. I'm going to work on this. I'm going to talk about this something different because that's what I want to talk about. As I was studying these scriptures, it's almost like a new aha for me because I looked at how in, in the book of Acts, how the followers of Jesus who have experienced now the Holy Spirit poured out into their lives, how did they then bear witness to Jesus Christ? I want to share with you two that are bearing witness to the Gentiles in particular because uh, we're not most of us here are not Jewish and we're not speaking to Jewish people. If we go to Acts chapter 10, I want to read you the verses. This is where Peter is called to preach the gospel to a Gentile uh, centurion who's a God-fearer, and this is what he proclaims to him. To pick it up, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. So this is Peter preaching now. This is, what he's, this is how he's bearing witness. This is what he's proclaiming. Jesus went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him, Jesus, to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him appear. Talking about the resurrection. Not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. Resurrection, resurrection, resurrection. Verse 42, and he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to judge, to be the judge of the living and the dead. He will reprove the world of sin, of righteousness, and judgment. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him, you gotta believe in Jesus, you gotta believe in Jesus, he reproves the world of sin because they don't believe in me. Forgiveness of sins through his name. Through whose name? Through Jesus' name. Let me show you another one. In Athens, when uh, Paul is now preaching to this uh, Jewish, non-Jewish audience and their th great thinkers, and he says in Acts chapter 20, uh, 17, verse 23, as he begins to proclaim to them, For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. So they're religious. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life, breath, and everything. Verse 30. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. He's bringing conviction. I'm coming to a case here. Because he has fixed a day on what, when he will judge the world 
in righteousness. How's the Holy Spirit going to work? Convince the world of sin, righteousness, judgment. He will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Do you see the parallels? Do you see the proclamation of Jesus' followers mirrors what Jesus told his disciples that he is especially going to be reproving, convincing the world of our need for Jesus, that your sins can be forgiven only and in him, that Jesus is righteous because he's risen from the dead and your rightness with God will never be enough, but his is, and as proof of that, he's risen from the dead and he is the one who will judge. He's appointed to be the judge at the end of time. Jesus, Savior, righteous, resurrected, judge. This is the proclamation of God's people that the Holy Spirit particularly works in in power to bring them to himself. Bear witness to this and the Holy Spirit will be at work. Invite others to believe and to repent and the Holy Spirit will be work at work in our world. If we were to read on in this section in in John chapter 16, Jesus says to them, I have a lot more things to tell you, but it's not the right time. And and I feel like that this morning. Got a lot more things to tell you, but it's just, it's not the right time. In fact, we've run out of time. I still have many things to say. And he tells them how the Holy Spirit is also going to take the things that Jesus has taught them, the things that they've observed about Jesus' life. It's going to be all about Jesus, and he's going to reveal more and more of this truth to them. And I think there's a correlation to them being witnesses because for you and I, as we look at Jesus more and more and we look at the the plan of God and how he's revealed himself through Jesus and how he's accomplished his plan through Jesus, that we want to more and more just bear testimony and witness to him. And in that is great joy. Let me tell you, there's great joy. It may be scary for us to enter into this. We sometimes may be afraid, but let me tell you, there is great joy. Because we were made for this. We were made for this as individuals. We're made for this as as a church, as a family together. Your small group is made for this. Your your community group, your mid-sized group, you're made for this. You're made to be on mission. You're made to bear witness to what God has done in your life. And when you do, you experience the Holy Spirit in those places. And there's great joy. I can tell you this week about, about an email received from one of the participants in Alpha and just that you could see the joy leaping off the pages of that email. And it wasn't a short email because there was a lot to rejoice in about just to be part of this where you're sitting with people and you're talking to them about the hope that you have in Jesus. I recall another conversation this week with a person who'd just come home from spending a a night where it just so happened as she's conversing with this family that the the conversation went all towards Jesus. And she said, yesterday I had a conversation with Jesus. Today I had a conversation with Jesus. Like, wow! Such joy. We were made for this. I think of this Christmas and the opportunity that we have for those of us who are Jesus followers in this season. What if, what if we asked a simple question in conversation with people, what does Christmas mean to you? And then when they asked, and, and no doubt there'll be some meaningful things that they want to share when they ask you, you, you know, like, yeah, family and gifts and 
And holiday, it's all so wonderful. But let me tell you about what Christmas really means to me. And in one or two sentences, you could say, you know, Christmas means a lot to me because of how it's been traditionally celebrated that God would send his son, Jesus, who will be the judge of the world at the end of time to become our savior by stepping into humanity. So we celebrate his birth knowing that one day he went to the cross. He died on the cross so that all our brokenness in this world could be fixed and the brokenness in my life and your life could be fixed if we would just believe in him. Could it really be that simple to bear witness to Jesus? Sometimes the only barrier is the, that little fear in our hearts, that 15 seconds of courage or 10 seconds of courage or 20 seconds of courage that I talk about where we say, yes, Jesus, Father, I'm going to enter in. And we speak. And there we find it's not just about us. We have a helper. We have an advantage. We have God in the person of the Holy Spirit working with us to bring glory to his name. The Holy Spirit not only works in us, but as we step into our calling of mission, he is truly with us. Let me pray. And just before I do, if you're here this morning and you do not have that relationship with Jesus, and for you, now is the time, even as I'm speaking, you know that you are convinced that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he died for you, that if you would put your trust in him, he would forgive your sins, and you can have eternal right relationship with God the Father. If you're in that place at this time, I want you to know you can just enter in. You can just ask God. You can receive him into your life even this morning. Father, we come before you. Lord, we just receive you this morning as our Lord and Savior. We thank you for the incredible price, Father, that you paid in giving your son, Jesus, and going to the cross. And Holy Spirit, we're so grateful that you have come to inhabit us, to be in us as you are with us, and that you go before us, Lord, in helping us to bear witness to your great name. Thank you, in Jesus' name, amen.